Welcome to Spiritual Naturalism Today, a conversation on science, nature, and spirituality. Our program is sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society with host Daniel Strain. Hi, thanks for listening. I'm Daniel Strain, and I'm here with co-host B.T. Newberg and Jay Forrest. Today we're going to do something a little different than we've done in the past episodes. Um, we like to always be thinking of spiritual naturalism as something that's practical and that really helps people in their lives. And so, and not just uh, abstract philosophy or something like that. So uh, BT had a great idea for today's topic, and that is to take a real-life applied issues and discuss it. Now, Jay and myself, we don't know exactly what we're going to be talking about today. We know that it is an issue that BT is going to bring to the table, and he wanted to have very uh, authentic, natural responses from us uh, that were not rehearsed or thought about ahead of time. But what, what our point here is that hopefully if people have similar problems out there, they can benefit from this and that you can get a chance to see what spiritual naturalism is like in a in a real applied sense. And uh, do you want to add to that, BT, uh, since it's your idea? No, actually, that's a great introduction there. Thank you. Yeah, so, okay, yeah. Uh, like Daniel said, totally unrehearsed. I'm the only one who knows about this problem. So it's going to be an issue from my life. And by the way, this is not going to be about a bitch section about this problem, although there might be some bitching involved. It's not going to be about getting sympathy, although there might be some sympathizing involved. It's going to be about uh, how do we deal with this problem? How do we approach it more healthily? How do we flourish better? That's the kind of uh, conversation that I want to have here. Okay, well, with that said, um, so I have started a new job, something that happens to all of us, right, commonly, especially in this economy. Picked up a part-time job. In addition to teaching, I also now work in the electronics department at a big box department store. And retail is new to me. Maybe not exactly aligned with my natural personality inclinations, <laughs> but I'm giving it my best shot. But I'm finding there's a lot of frustrations with working for a big corporate big box store. So... Just a few examples. For example, the training that I was given was um, very disorganized. Like, nobody seems to know who has told me what. And that's the same with other people who have come on since me, new guys. Nobody knows who has told what to the new guy. As a, as a new guy, you're really not kept up on. You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> so you basically can only learn by making mistakes, screwing up, and then being told, yeah, that's not what you're supposed to do. And even after three months, I'm still finding out like major things I was supposed to be doing all this time. <laughs> so that's a bit frustrating. Um, another example is um, this particular store. They keep track of customer feedback. They call it a vibe score. Like, you're supposed to be giving out good vibes all the time to the uh, to the customers. And the way that they track this, they track this by individual sections on an electronic section, right? So we get our specific uh, feedback just on how was your experience in the electronic section. And it's weekly. Now, each week, only maybe three or four 
customers might give feedback on your section, you get a lot of um, responses like 66.66% of customers say that they had a good experience, which is clearly like they're worth three that week, right? So if you're basing any kind of like measurement on only three respondents, that's like statistically meaningless, right? But they're really uh, on us about getting this vibe score up to 100% all the time. So that's frustrating, right? And I don't want to drag this out too much, but um, just one more thing. Anybody who works in retail can relate to this one for sure. You start an interaction with a customer, and you very immediately you know that even before you started talking to them, they were already ready to be upset with you. And if you're just, it's just you start behind, and then you just get further and further behind. So my question to you guys is, with this kind of situation where you're thrust into this, and you have a number of kind of absurd qualities to the situation, things that can cause frustration, things that can cause you to, you know, want to just throw your hands up and say, "I quit. This is not for me." How do you approach that more in a more healthy way, a more wholesome way, some way? How do you be able to flourish in that? situation. What do you guys think? I could really honestly use some help. <laughs> I have a lot of ideas about this, but why don't you go ahead, uh, Jay, and let us know what you think. Well, having worked retail, um, I actually was an assistant manager of a pharmacy for a while, um, and there was a joke at the time that said, customer service was great if it wasn't for the customer. <laughs> um, the, the problem is... Uh, um, they, of course, have organizational problems. Anytime you have the big box store, a lot of the details get lost in just the size of the thing. Um, there's some, it, it really does depend upon the, the, the store manager on how well uh, it's implemented. A lot of them will do like uh, what's called uh, quality assurance, where they actually will go through and make sure that the training is up to par. They'll actually when a, tra- a trainee goes through the training, at a certain point, the trainee will be uh, set aside, and then they will evaluate to see how well the training was and then make improvements. Uh, and that's what the whole idea of continual improvement is. Unfortunately, you get into these large stores, any of the big box stores, and that's easily dropped just because of, of the pressure and being hired recently, of course, one of the difficulties is the Christmas rush. That's right. Um, they're, they're not focused on you, and they're not focused on your training. Um, and, and the biggest frustration is, you know, really feeling like you're not getting the training and then getting punished because you didn't get what you're supposed to get. Um, yeah, so there's a, feeling, right. there's a feeling of injustice. Yeah. And one of the things is to acknowledge that and say, you know, Yes, that, that in fact is in, unjust. You know, usually what we try to do is fix those kind of things. The difficulty in those kind of situations is we also feel like we're not empowered to do that. So I don't know if you are empowered at all to to give feedback on the training you get to higher management or not, but that's one way to feel, to, to right or wrong, if you will, to, to make the, the feeling of injustice just is to go through the channels and see, in fact, whether... You know, there's some way to, to let the grievance know. The other is to, to buddy up. Find yourself somebody who actually is skilled in, in the, the, the department who's doing your position. If that's not possible, obviously this isn't going to work. But if you can uh, mirror that person, find out what they're doing, ask questions of them, 
that has helped me in the past when I've gotten into a situation where the training, and honestly, training to me should be top priority because what you put in and invest in your employees is what you're going to get out. But I find a lot of the companies lose sight of that. Um, I per- currently work for a company uh, that the, the training is is horrendous. Um, but I also know that in this particular industry that this is common. Training is is kind of on the job, on the fly. You learn as you go. So your experience is not uncommon. That's the first thing to to give you some some hope that you know they're not. Uh, this isn't uh, one place in the whole United States where uh, management is dis- disorganized. Yeah, I mean that does it. It helps you, you know, just like you were laughing. It helps you to to laugh, realize, yeah, I'm not alone, and that will help. Now, how do you deal with uh, those issues? Well, you've got the kinetics of it. That is the you've got the things that do or not do within you know the store you know, like asking, you know, monitoring or, or mirroring somebody who actually is doing the job and has done it for a while, um, seeing if you can go, in fact, talk to higher-ups to go through a, a grievance process of some kind or some kind of a, hey, you know, training really needs to be improved because I really wanted to, to do this job and I didn't feel like I was given the tools. Those are things that you can actually do. But a lot of this actually goes on inside. It deals with, our attitude towards the situation. The whole idea of giving up is a lot uh, of people when they get into a, a really hard place, they want to give up because we don't like difficulty. And a lot of it is, you know, whenever, for an example, we, you know, put our hand on the stove, we pull it away because it's it hurts. And a lot of this discomfort actually is an emotional hurt or emotional irritation. We want to pull away. And that's the, the response to quit. And in some cases, that's the correct response. Um, you know, sometimes you do have to walk away from the situation when, in fact, it's unworkable. Um, I don't think this is unworkable, at least at this point. I, I think what, uh, you know, to show interest to the management that you're interested in learning, that you're asking questions, that you're trying to get yourself uh, a mentor who will kind of, you know, take you under their wing and, and show you the ropes, um, and, and the other thing is to deal with the, the inner difficulty. For an example, you may have a particular boss who's in charge of this that you may have feelings of animosity towards. You know, like, <laughs> what the heck's wrong with you? Who put you in charge? You have no idea what you're doing. And that's where we can bring the loving-kindness meditation, and mm-hmm. we just say, to you know, in our minds, May they be safe, may they be happy, may they be healthy, may they be content, um, just so that we can get ourselves in the right place. Um, the other thing, I, I think it is true that you're going to have the customer. Uh, one of the, and this is the difficulty with the whole uh, store industry is you're dealing with people, and people come with problems. And many times those people that you feel are there just ready to, you know, they're just waiting to unleash. You know, they got their guns loaded, mm-hmm. and they're waiting for the first person to open their mouth to fire. You know, and the first person they see representing that store, you're it. You're getting it all. To realize that this person is suffering. They're suffering, and this is how they're expressing that suffering in a very unwise and confused way. And to, instead of getting to the place of trying to defend, get in the place to try to understand. Get into the place of 
all right, you may not be able to counsel them in, in such a setting, but maybe you can offer them empathy, sympathy, understand, you know, and, the, and one of the fastest ways to uh, derail a, a very angry customer is, I'm sorry, understand that, yes, yes, let's see what we can do to fix this. And Sometimes understanding is a, uh, uh, a look, uh, looking in their eyes, showing them that you really are concerned for them and that you have a compassionate disposition toward them. And then uh, I often like to try repeating back what I am hearing from them. So when they hear it coming out of your mouth, they hear something like, Oh, I see. You've you've been looking everywhere, and it's not obviously. It looks like it would be here, and it should right. be here. You would think, but it's not, or yep. something like that. When they hear you repeating that what they think back to them, then I think they they feel a lot better at that point. Yeah. Sorry. Oh no, no. That's that's exactly right. Um, the whole once you're able to repeat it in similar words, put it in your own words, but similar words to what they're saying, they say, oh you know, they understand. That really does help uh, derail uh, some of the animosity and not returning that animosity. Don't mirror them. It's, it's really right. easy yeah. to mirror them to, because if you walk into a room and somebody's already had an argument in the room, you're going to feel the tension in the room. Even though nobody's saying anything, there's no reason why you should. There's like tension in the room. There's a vibe to use yeah. the, the store's Techno or uh, words, there's a vibe. What you also have a vibe, and if you're picking up the vibrations of the person and picking up their anger and frustration, you know you're going to mirror that back to them, and it shouldn't escalate. Um, and the the thing is to not do that, to draw them into a place of calmness, draw them into a place of sympathy. Draw them in a place where they, they don't look at you as a representative of the store, but as a real person. See, when they come to you, you're not, you're not Brandon. You're, you are simply the store. That's you right. are simply the face of the store, and it's like somebody going up to a wall and vandalizing it. <laughs> you're an it. You're not a person. That's right. And your interaction is to try to re help them realize, hey, I'm a real person. And I really do care, and I really do want to help you. And if they can get that message, you'd be surprised at how much you know they'll open up and say, oh, "I'm sorry, you know, it's not your fault. I'm just frustrated because I've done this, and you know, my mother just passed away, my husband's leaving me, and my kids don't care for me anymore." You know, you don't know what's going on behind there, and if you come to it with that understanding, you have no idea the suffering that people go through and then you open yourself up to them and you know it may, it makes a world of difference when you come and you look at it that way yeah the uh the thing too is to try to not do it with uh this kind of thing in mind that oh if i try these techniques then they'll turn around and they'll be a you know, kind person, I'll have this lovely interaction, try to throw that out the window because whatever happens or however they respond is, you know, not up to you. That You may do all of that stuff we just said and then they're still, you know, basically just a jerk and, uh, 
and that's the way they are. But so that can't be like a, a requirement of why you you're doing it is is to hope to get that response. Instead, it should just yeah, be this is who I am. Success. Right. This is who I am. I'm doing it because this is who I. And then if it turns out they're still like that, you know, you can at least walk away from that encounter saying, you know, I'm really proud of myself for how I handled that, and that person's just not ready to receive that, you know, that kind of thing yet. And, you know, whatever space they're in, they're just not at that place. It's kind of like, um, you know how, like, people, for example, um, say a person is suffering from some sort of dementia, and they, they're saying very rude, nasty things, but everybody around them knows that it's part of this condition they have. And so there's not this kind of deep-seated response to it that there would be if, if it wasn't a person suffering in that condition. Well, in a sense, every time that we act in an unenlightened way, we're suffering from a condition. It's just that maybe it's not as persistent as, a, as the conditions that get labels and everything, but it's still a, uh, at least at that moment, it's a condition of ignorance. So I, I try to remember that. To me, the thing that stuck out about, you know, the, the different things you brought up, the nonsensical training situation, the, the nonsensical <laughs> calculation for the vibe score, and the uh, customers who, you know, are unjustly already predisposed a certain way. Um, the things that came up to me about that, um, I, I also have a, a, you know, experience in retail, but also experience working for a very large corporation. And I came into that experience um, directly after college. So it was as contrasted an environment as you can imagine. And um, I actually thought that when I got out into the real world and I worked at a company, that when I brought up things that didn't make sense and a better way to do them, that everybody would go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then (laughs) things would change and then – everything would be improved and then we would move on and everything would be very rational. And, you know, and what I learned, how did that work out? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What I learned after a few years of frustration was basically that when you're talking about these large corporations, you have very little chance of a lot of things working out. So you have to kind of come to an acceptance that there's going to be a lot of goofy, nonsensical stuff and, and that's just the way it is. And then you can try to make improvements where you can and do your part and everything. But all in all, it is a very great applied lesson in stoicism, uh, what is outside of your control, and um, because there's so much that is. And so much of that stuff that goes on, it's not necessarily because they didn't realize it was nonsensical. It's because somebody wanted to make a good impression by submitting an idea for something or somebody has their ego tied into a certain thing that they were a part of or there's some kind of favoritism going on somewhere. There's always these other complex things going on or people are just comfortable with the way it's always been and they don't really want to rock the boat. They just want to punch in and punch out. So there is kind of a a reserved sort of acceptance that I always felt like if I had to go back to some of those earlier jobs I have, I would do so much better than I did than I do now. At least that's what I imagine in my head is because I I feel like another thing too, is that like um, 
something I never thought of doing at the time was that there's a thing that goes on when you deal with um, management or superiors in a workplace is that we tend to dehumanize them mm-hmm. because they are the boss or the big cheese or the whatever person. The man, right? the man yeah. <laughs> and what I've noticed is that when you actually show a uh, very humanizing kind of treatment of them like they were a family member or a friend or somebody like that, that they, I mean, and I can say this now looking back from the other direction because I've since had management uh, sorts of roles, and there's kind of a loneliness at the top sometimes, and sometimes there's this feeling of isolation, and it's almost like the dad with the teenager who feels like my kids never <laughs> talk to me anymore, you know? And uh, yeah, so right. when you see an employee that's actually like, hey, how are you doing? How was your weekend? And they seem genuinely interested to treat you like a human being. Uh, a lot of managers can really respond to that. Yeah. And uh, it can help to, you know, restore some kind of humanity to the relationship. Yeah. And either side can do that. But the, some of the other things that stood out to me um, – some of the inner things that go on during these these situations. One is worry about, well, in stoic terms it would be reputation, but worry about performance on the job and how you are going to be perceived and rewarded or punished based on that performance. I think that directly plugs into the whole stoic approach on on reputation and how – it's got to start with just kind of this inner, I do this because of who I am, and then whatever else happens, happens, you know. Because if we start getting too tied up with, uh, well, I did I did that job over there, and he took the credit for it, or nobody noticed that I did that, and, you know, now they don't think I do my stuff. You know, you start getting tied up with all that kind of stuff, and you end up going through this, this kind of rat in a maze kind of chasing the cheese constantly. Um, it's a very frustrating treadmill to be on. Um, the third, the second thing is uh, um, of the inner stuff is anger about things that don't make sense. Okay. So I already uh, addressed that. That's about the uh, wanting things to, to be rational, wanting things to make sense, wanting things to be, uh, and, and this kind of almost instinctive angry response we have when we see people doing stupid things and they don't seem to respond to our reason right. and, and to our showing that this doesn't exactly. make sense. Exactly. Uh, so that feeling, that, that kind of instinctive response to stupidity is a um, is something that we also have to kind of deal with. It's like a... Uh, it's kind of like if you were going to try to, you know, solve world hunger. Hey, I'm going to feed this person. I'm going to feed that person, but I'm not going to be able to feed everybody. You right. know, you have to take a realistic. It's the same thing. I'm going to say I'm going to present my memo. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to say my idea. I'm going to mention this thing in a constructive, compassionate way. And if it's not picked up, if it's pearls before swine or whatever it is, uh, that's what it is. And then you know. Yeah. You know, it, it's not really, it's not your company, really. And, and it's kind of a dichotomy. You know, it's like, in one sense, you get a lot further by being compassionate to everyone around you, the customers, the fellow employees, the bosses, and even the owners of the company, and say, I want to treat this company as I would if it were my company and do what I think 
should be done for my company. But on the other hand, you've got to remember that when other people who are outside of your control don't respond to that, that ultimately it's not your company. It's somebody else's headache really to worry about, and you did your part. And if they're not responding, then that means they're willing to live with it being that way. And meanwhile, you've got your real life you can go home to and other projects that you're working on that are that are your projects. And Yeah, don't own more of a headache than you actually have. Yeah, <laughs> unless you're getting a, uh, equitable profit sharing, don't own the company. <laughs> there you go. You know. yeah. uh, Good luck on that. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, then the third thing is um, hurt about misplaced, misdirected anger coming from others. Right. Um, or whether it's anger or some other kind of negative treatment. Um, you know, that's the customer that's already ready to do something at the boss that's already ready to be grouchy no matter what. And for that, I just try to... I, I try to just say, okay, what if this was – because we do tend to excuse bad behavior when it comes to people that we love mm-hmm. or people that we know really well or we know the circumstances they're in and so on and so forth. So I think you know, it sounds bad to say excuse bad behavior, but in a sense, try to cut them a break, the same break you would if they were a family member. Mm-hmm. And – in a way, you kind of laugh off a lot of things. When when your best friend comes in going, what the hell do you want and stuff like that, you're just kind of, hey, sh- hey, man, take it easy, you know, and you kind of laugh it off a little bit. But when a stranger does that, you don't laugh it off. And so yeah, I think if what we have that same kind of connection, then uh, that same kind of sympathy and that same kind of uh, empathy, that a lot of this stuff would would seem less harsh to us, we would kind of we would come in and give it the brush over the same way we would if if we had done it. You know, well, you don't understand I was having a bad day. We kind of right, brush right. it and stuff. Yep. Uh, you mentioned that in the course, in fact, I think. Yeah. But uh, anyway, those are the kind of things that stood out to me about, <laughs> about that stuff. Easier said than done, of course. Yeah. But I think if you could maybe bring up some of these things and some of these points in your meditations or in your uh, maybe um, contemplations, whatever you want to call it, as reminders. And the mindfulness, staying mindful in the middle of these things. Because, you know, you do the meditation and then you get up and you go to work and then now, now all of a sudden the stuff's happening, you're kind of swept up in it. The more we can try to try to use that as an exercise mm-hmm. to maintain that mindfulness of all of this stuff we're talking about, then the more it can start to work into your mental habits as as the situation comes up without having to rethink about it later as a means of calming down. It just can eventually start to work its way in that kind of nucleus uh, so that there's never anything to calm down from eventually. Uh, it's the ideal, of course. But <laughs> wow, you yeah, guys, but that it, was awesome. It is definitely attainable. Yeah. That was gold, guys. It's gold nuggets all the way. I've written down, I think I counted eight different points of advice. And I don't know how you divide them up. It might be more, it might be more, it might be less. But that was really cool. Um, and one of the things that really stuck out to me is for a lot of the discussion, we weren't, you weren't really talking about it specifically in spiritual naturalist principles or, or something drawn from Stoicism or Buddhism or some other tradition. You're just responding it naturally. Uh, responding to it naturally 
but then it also naturally smoothed right into those principles, kind of in and out, seamlessly interwoven. Um, in, in fact, some listeners might not have picked up on some of the principles you guys were referencing because you were talking about it in just daily, regular terms. And that, I think that's, that's exactly what we, what it's really like to, to live life as a spiritual naturalist. You're, your, your thought processes, your, your approach to life is informed by those principles, but not necessarily like you're picking out a, a principle in every moment and trying to see you know, abstractly how this applies. No, you you do that as a practice until it's internalized and then it flows out of you the way it just flow out of, flowed out of, out of you guys. I thought that was really cool. Um, and a lot of the things that you guys, the advice that you gave is... is um, well, some of it's uh, stuff I hadn't thought of, so thank you very much for that. Also, other stuff that I that I um, that's what I would have approached it as, or am approaching it as, actually. Like, for example, um, Daniel brought up, you know, keeping in mind that how the customer responds is not up to you, but how I respond to the customer is up to me. I mean, that's a classic Stoic principle. That's like the core idea of, of Stoicism, of philosophy from ancient Greece. And that's given me a lot of strength during these last three months. That was that was really interesting. I thought um, also the idea of um, mirroring the emotions of the customer. I thought was really cool. And what that uh, reminds me of is something from one of my spiritual traditions. In my background is uh, that was paganism. Uh, so the mythologies of uh, ancient of Europe and other places is big to me. And it reminded me of a particular scene from a myth of uh, Inanna, the goddess Inanna who descends to the underworld. But then she gets stuck in the underworld because nobody leaves the underworld. And she's not the one in control down there. It's her sister, Eris Kegel, who says, no, you can't leave the underworld. Nobody leaves the underworld, right? Now, the mirroring part comes in in how her buddies up in heaven try to get her out of the underworld. They send down these two little servant beings. I think they're actually like animated clods of clay, but it doesn't, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. What's, what's interesting is how they convince the sister Erish Kegel to let her out of the underworld. They go down and they see that Erish Kegel, who her whole life is in hell, the underworld, right? And her life is itself kind of an embodiment of hell. Her hell is that she is condemned for all eternity to suffer birth pangs without ever actually giving birth. So she's just always in labor, in that pain. And so they go down there, and they see her, and she is crying out, oh, my insides, oh, my outsides. And how these little servants respond to her is they mirror her suffering. They start, like, in a chorus to her suffering, they scream, oh, my insides, oh, my outsides. And then she responds to that. She notices that they're there. She starts interacting with them, and then they're like, hey, you think you can let Anana out of the underworld? She's like, oh, maybe, just for you. <laughs> 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 so that really uh, encapsulates in a narrative form exactly the advice that you're talking about, that when the customer is bringing this kind of negative energy to the situation, sometimes rather than trying to fix the situation in a direct way, sometimes to mirror their emotions back. Yep puts them in that in that sort of situation that's conducive mm-hmm. then to being able to fix the situation. And before that happens, you're getting nowhere. You're getting nowhere. Yeah, that's a great point, um, is that the mirroring of emotions can have can be done in a positive and a negative way. Um, 
I was going to bring up that when I worked at uh, the the large corporation that I worked at, um, it was a telephone company, and we had uh, I worked in the art department, and we had a sales department upstairs, and so the salespeople would come down all the time trying to get art from the art department, and we had a system the way it was supposed to work, so there wouldn't be chaos, but the salespeople would apply their salespeopleness uh, techniques to try to shyster the system and uh, get around, you know, get their stuff back earlier. And so they'd come down, you know, basically in this this kind of – every time they came down, it was a different kind of tactic they would try to try to schmooze you over and all this stuff. Sometimes it would be – Oh, the customer's going out of town, and we got to have. And so apparently, all the customers were going out of town all the time, uh, you know, and it, different things like that. And so they would try to sweep you up in their in their urgency, you know, to make you go, oh, 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 and jump to it, and go, oh, yeah, I see. And uh, somebody joked about me one time. They said, like, you're you're just like a rock. They come in doing all this stuff, and you're just sitting there like. <laughs> This and deflect off of them, it would drive them crazy. You know, they get mad because they said I didn't have a sense of urgency. I was like, okay, well, we've got to put this in here. And I would just stay like, you know, I would not get caught up in their little whirlwind that they were trying to get. Be stoic. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but they were that that would really frustrate them, you know. And now I think, okay, if I went back in that situation, I'd try to be compassionate and I'd try to at least mirror a little bit of it and say, okay, I understand you're in a rush, but let's do this and do that. And instead, I kind of used some of those techniques in a a strategic slash uh, passive-aggressive kind of battling kind of way. which you know I wouldn't do today, but I did back then. I I certainly did got some satisfaction out of it, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So that's just one example of like <laughs> I would do that. I would come at it totally different, and I think I, I would have been a lot more effective. But I don't know. Fortunately, I'm not working there anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys. Thank you guys for your advice. You're very welcome. Uh, glad you brought yeah. it up, actually. I, I think it was a great idea to take something really down to earth and applied because a lot of our articles and a lot of our talks and a lot of conversations do talk about these uh, principles in a very abstract way. And in fact, one of the uh, I was leading a meditation here locally, and uh, it, following it was a Dharma discussion as usual, uh, kind of a talk about different things and. Uh, one of the attendees was saying, I, I really need to hear this stuff in a very, in more applied ways than we're talking about it. And so it's always been kind of a challenge for me to uh, talk about it in that way because you really need specific examples. So thank you very much for bringing your specific example. Uh, let me just go ahead and move us to some of those announcements uh, that we got to do. We have about four announcements for our listeners. Um, the first thing I want to mention is um, our next course in spiritual naturalism. It's SNS 101, Introduction to Spiritual Naturalism, online course that we give. And BT, why don't you uh, tell us the next date for that? The next session is going to be in January, starting Sunday, January 3rd, and finishing Sunday, January 31st. So it's four weeks. And it's, we usually have a cozy little group, and um, I'm the mentor of the course, and usually there's um, 
uh, email exchange with the students. So it's you get a lot of feedback. Great. So, uh, yeah, just go to our website, spiritualnaturalistsociety.org, and um, you can sign up for it there. You'll see a little uh, sign for it in the lower right-hand corner. Um, I also want to mention that the winter solstice is coming up soon, and we plan to make some announcements about this pretty soon in the next few days. So keep a, keep a lookout. Um, sign up for our newsletter or check us out on Facebook. We'll be making announcements about it. And it's something that we want to uh, – we'll have a little message. We're going to light some candles, and we want to get everybody on board so that everybody can take part in this together. So there will be more details about that to follow. And then third thing, our membership slash funds drive, our annual membership slash funds drive is going to be starting on the 15th of December and going to the the 15th of January. And um, during that time, we're going to be encouraging people to join as members or to make a donation. And if they do either in the – or actually if they become a member during the – during that month, then they will get a uh, free copy of our Year 2 anthology book, Exploring Spiritual Naturalism Year 2. So uh, that's something else that you can do at the website. And uh, we also invite you to help us with the drive by telling other people about the Spiritual Naturalist Society. You can tell them about this podcast. You can tell them about our website. Um, Tell them to join. You can join uh, as a supporting member um, if you want to get the, the book, um, or uh, we also have uh, free memberships if people want to become a, a uh, regular member. Then the fourth thing we had was that um, our co-host, Jay Forrest, has written a book and has it now available. Um, Jay, why don't you tell everybody about that? Uh, thanks, Daniel and uh, BT. Uh, the book has just come out. Um, it's called Practical Buddhism, Wisdom for Everyday Life, it's actually based on my podcast, and it's 115, uh, very short, um, about two pages. Some of them are even less, and they're great for those that are busy, don't have time to actually uh, be able to spend some time in thinking about spiritual practice and uh, you know how to deal with life's issues. Matter of fact, one of them, one of the chapters in there is called It Is What It Is, and it deals with accepting reality as it is and, and not trying to, to change it. Um, it also has, um, there's a festival uh, Buddhists have, it's called uh, Buddha Day, uh, Visak. And basically, uh, I've got the dates in there for the next uh, 10 years. So, um, matter of fact, that's the only place I was able to, to find it. And so, yeah, you can get it at Amazon.com. And that's about 1998 is what it goes for. So get your copy today. <laughs> Great. And you can also get that through the uh, SNS Amazon shop. And if you get it through there, then um, part of that goes to help support our mission as well. So um, you can check that out on our website, the SNS shop down near the bottom of the page, or um, just go directly to Amazon if either, either way, however you prefer to do it. Um, Okay, so I think that's it for today, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Thanks, BT. Thanks, Jay. And I hope you will uh, stay tuned for our next podcast. Uh, And uh, until then, um, we wish you a great month.
Thank you. This program was sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society. Learn more and join our community at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. Our music was composed by John Clemisrud. J.N. Forrest is our technical director, and Daniel Strain is program director. Our hosts are Daniel, J. and B.T. Newberg. Please share our program with others and join us next time on Spiritual Naturalism Today. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun.